But I'd like to draw your attention to a couple verses for our weekend text here um, uh, from Isaiah chapter 57. Would you turn there with me? And while you're turning to Isaiah 57, when I use the word wicked, what comes to mind? Um, some of you might be thinking, oh, wicked, the wicked witch of the West, uh, you know, uh, the Wizard of Oz and the green wicked witch, you know, and, and there's wicked there. Some might be thinking of a Broadway play or, or others might be thinking of a, of a wicked wave if you're a sur surfer and like, that was wicked, which actually means good as it turns out. <laughs> and, and the word wicked, you know, it can mean different things in modern days. But interestingly, if you look up the word wicked in the dictionary, there's five definitions for it. <laughs> and, um, and I'll read to you all five of them. First of all, wicked, evil by nature and in practice. Evil by nature and in practice. Number two definition, dictionary. Playfully malicious or mischievous. Oh, that guy's being wicked, you know, or that girl's wicked. Or, or, or number three, severe and distressing, uh, wicked. It means severe or distressing, like a wicked cough or, um, you know, wicked driving conditions, uh, severe or distressing. Number four, highly offensive is another definition for wicked, obnoxious, like that's a wicked stench. <laughs> um, like that smoke was a uh, wicked smell around uh, Oregon and California. Um, but uh, the fifth definition that's in the dictionary is this, strikingly good, effective, or skillful. You know, a wicked curveball or a wicked, uh, 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 you know, wicked wave, like the surfer that I was talking about earlier. Isn't it funny how the same word can mean really, really bad, but it can also mean really, really good? What, what is that? What, what happens when you take a word and it's got such an opposite meaning? Well, I'll tell you what it is. Honestly, it's humanity. It's our fleshly, sinful humanity that does stuff with this. You know, we, we like to call evil good and call good evil. I'm not saying that the use of the word wicked uh, is not gonna be a life or death situation, but isn't it interesting that we have here a word that the Bible pretty much has a very clear definition. Um, the, the, the Hebrew word for wicked, and also the Aramaic word is kind of interesting if you're a word study person, uh, but the word used here in, in the original language um, is kind of the antonym or the opposite of righteousness, righteousness. So wicked means unrighteous, being wrong, sinful, evil. That's the biblical definition of the word for wicked. And so I wanna set that pace and that premise for you uh, because that's really what our text is about uh, this weekend as we do these services. I'll tell you, it's important for us to hear what the Bible says about the wicked. Let's take a look. It's Isaiah 57, verse 20. In Isaiah 57, 20, it says, but the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith God, saith my God, to the wicked. Let's read that again. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. 
The Lord is speaking through the prophet Isaiah about the wicked and what is the deal with the wicked. And boy, I'll tell you, what an appropriate text for the days we live in. I believe we are living in extremely wicked days. We're seeing wickedness all around us. And the exponential level of wickedness, have you noticed, uh, maybe if you're my age or older, um, you've seen in a very short time of history, um, attitudes about what's evil and what's good changing so radically. 30, 40, 50 years ago, man, the worldview on so much was so different. Um, you know, and it's amazing how we've embraced things that are just wicked. We've, we've not only embraced them, but we've actually promoted them. And if you think that those things are wicked today, you have become the wicked one in the world's mind. If you don't agree with someone, you are wicked and evil. And, uh, and we're even seeing sort of this uh, belligerence toward people who say, well, that's just wrong. Well, who are you to say that that's wrong? And suddenly you're the one who needs to be, uh, you know, canceled, uh, or you're the one that needs to be killed. We're seeing that happening in our country right now. And it's all about the worldview of what is wicked and what is not wicked. The problem with this world and wickedness, it's a moving target. We have changed, we have, uh, you know, adapted to, the, you know, the premonitions of people that are sinful saying, well, this isn't really that bad. And so right now we're seeing uh, at crazy levels, things that we once deemed sinful and wicked, evil, now we're promoting. It's kind of a sad uh, indictment, really, the Bible gives us here against humanity because we're all really, we all are wicked in some way, shape, or form. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no one righteous. So we all have this wicked streak in the biblical sense. And I'll get to the good news at the end of our study here uh, for sure. But I wanna show you some of the things that the Bible really teaches us about wickedness. And see, the thing is, um, if we don't, get back to what the Bible says, we're gonna be in trouble. You see, the Bible is an anchor, and I'd say it's the anchor. There's no other moral compass that we can go by than the scriptures. It's amazing to me how the Bible over centuries, even millennia, was a standard, whether you're even a Christian or not. Even the non-believers called it the good book. Well, in the good book, if you're not supposed to murder someone, well, you see, thou shalt not kill. You know, that's a pretty basic Ten Commandments kind of thing, but even now, that's being questioned. Um, in our culture, it's okay to kill people. What do you mean, Brett? Well, should we talk about abortion? A little baby in a mother's womb? Um, there's people, wicked people, I would say, who are pushing for late-term abortion. All abortion is wicked. It's a life that God is creating in the mother's womb, and to take that life and kill it in the most violent horrific way. If, if you've been sticking your head in the sand like an ostrich about what abortion really means, man, you got to wake up. Science is making it more clear. We have these 3D images of babies in the mother's womb. We, we save the lives of babies. There's in vitro surgeries that, that doctors can do now. Do surgery on a baby that's unborn to save its life because of our technology now. But that same technology uh, we use in medicine to um, pull a baby violently out of a mother's womb in the most horrific way possible. Abortion is perhaps one of the most wicked things, if not the most wicked thing, we as humanity are, are accepting and, and doing today. 
Um, the Bible makes that clear. That's why Christians are largely the voice of pro-life because the Bible makes it clear and the Bible is our standard. Those of us that let the Bible be our moral compass, well, we haven't changed. We've just stayed the same. You know, there used to be 30, 40, 50 years ago, people pretty much generally agreed. It's in the last recent part of our history where there's been a massive shift of what I would call wickedness in our world that's become accepted and embraced. See, the problem with wickedness is the Bible says much about what's gonna happen to the wicked. So if you're one who's pro-abortion, you are pro-wickedness. I'm just saying it like the Bible says it. And do you really wanna be in that camp? Um, maybe you were sold a bill of goods. Maybe there was a narrative. Maybe there was a very evil, sinister brainwashing that has happened to you. And I wanna challenge you that are watching with me online today to, to know that, man, you, you might wanna peel back those calluses a little bit and get back to the sensitivity of what's actually true. You have been sold a bill of goods on so many topics. And there's been this, and I have to say it, brilliant marketing strategy of evil. The marketing of evil, the strategy of selling evil and wickedness. And our children have been uh, sold that bill of goods in their schools, in their education. Um, our families have received it because of the sitcoms and the advertising that we see. We've bought into it because of Hollywood and musicians and famous people who've all sold this bill of goods of wickedness. That's what it is. And, and for a pastor like me to sit here and preach what we've been preaching for hundreds of years, righteousness according to scripture, man, it's funny how today I'm the crazy one. Uh, back in the day, uh, it was the world that was the crazy one. But I wanna challenge you to maybe try to get a fresh set of ears as you hear what the word of God says. It says here in our text that the wicked are like troubled sea. Do we feel trouble in the world today? Are we better off today than we were 50 years ago? You know, it's interesting because as we embrace wickedness, our country, our nation continues to spiral out of control. And it's not just troubled sea, it says it cannot rest whose waters cast up mire and dirt. Man, nothing is clear anymore. No one agrees, no one's on the same page. It's mired up with dirt and there's no peace. That's what the Bible says in our text here. I'd like to share with you four things about the wicked. And if you wanna jot them down in your notes, maybe that'll be helpful. Number one, the pretense of the wicked, number one. Number two, the problems of the wicked. Number three, the peril of the wicked. And finally, the promise for the wicked. Uh, we'll take a look at those four things. Number one, the pretense of the wicked. The word pretense, pretending, a false appearance, uh, intended to deceive. That's what pretense means. So the pretense of the wicked, did you know that Satan is called the wicked one? In fact, the Antichrist is called the wicked one as well. Uh, he embodies wickedness. That's what Satan does. Now, all that to say, the pretense of the wicked, Satan being called the wicked one, really all throughout the New Testament. Um, but he's seen as the angel of light. There's a pretense. Satan is seen as an angel of light. You know, people think Satan's this little red pitchforked, uh, goateed, little evil guy running around the world going, ah, 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 trying to do wicked. 
But that's not Satan. He's an angel of light, the Bible said. There, there's something attractive about him, the Bible says. Um, in fact, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, jot it down in your notes. Uh, it says, and no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. And so isn't it interesting that wickedness comes by the way of things that are often attractive? Whether it's the attraction of Hollywood or the attraction of intellect, or if it's the attraction of, you know, being part of the, the, the majority and not part of the minority, there's an attraction. Now here's where it gets really interesting because um, I've watched this and, and, and some of you, you may be millennials, haven't been able to witness the way things have shifted. And I wanna, I wanna go back and give you a little history. Uh, and it's not that far back. I'm only gonna go back to like my high school era. Some of you are like, oh, that's ancient history. <laughs> but boy, things have changed so much since then. And you know, you could make a study of how has, has morality or, or immorality, how has that changed so rapidly? What was it that ushered in a worldview that's wicked so quickly and, and with such an embrace by our culture? You know, when I was in high school, um, the idea of homosexuality was largely thought of as sin. Uh, people generally agreed that it was a behavior that was not good um, because of the Bible. The Bible calls it an abomination. The Bible says homosexuality is actually a sin. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, we, we camp out on this one because it's the one that we're embracing and loving. There's a bunch of other sins, gluttony. <laughs> There's sins of lying and cheating and murder and anger. And, uh, you know, we can go on on stealing, adultery. We can go into all that stuff. But, but the thing about, the reason I want to kind of make a little bit of a study of this is we've gone from recognizing that homosexuality was sin to today, if you say it's sin, you're evil. Like it's so opposite. What happened? I remember when one of my high school teachers was found out, not didn't come out of the closet, but was found out to have been a gay person. And man, the school didn't know what to do. Everybody was freaked out because there was a gay teacher in my high school. Now, today, uh, things have, the attitude has changed. Now, some of you might be listening and say, isn't that wonderful? People are embracing homosexuality. Well, remember, when we talk about this topic, someday, whether you like it or not, you will stand before God and you will be held accountable for your worldview and what you've embraced and what you've promoted. And so I, I would just advise to be open-minded, man, and listen just for a second. And, and if you claim to be a tolerant person, tolerate just this sermon until I get to the end. Don't just shut it down because that's what a lot of people do today. They don't like to hear the arguments or, the, or they don't like to see what really is true. They just wanna make sure and stand on whatever they believe. Um, I try to listen to the other side all the time and I uh, wanna hear what the arguments are. But when you get down to it, the Bible has been proven correct morally for millennia. It was good for us for millennia, millennia but today it's not as much. What happened? How did the homosexual agenda become so embraced in such a short amount of time. Now, you're saying, Brett, that was a long time ago. Yeah, it is. Homosexuality, it's all embraced now. It's, it's totally mainstream. It's more than mainstream. But I wanna show you something that happened. You see, when I was in high school in the 80s, there was, there was a whole thing that happened with HIV and AIDS. 
And the gay agenda was real, uh, in real peril at that time. They called together 175 leading activists representing you know, homosexual groups from across the nation and they held what they called the war conference. Um, and they were trying to figure out there in, in Warrenton, Virginia to map out their movement, their movement's future. Shortly thereafter, Marshall Kirk and Hunter Madsen put in, into book form their comprehensive public relations plan how they were gonna advocate with their gay rights peers for uh, several years. Uh, Kirk and Madsen were not the kind of drooling activists that would burst into churches you know, and throw condoms in there. That was happening uh, later in the 90s. Um, but these guys were intellectual uh, giants. They were smart guys, very savvy, very smart. Kirk was a Harvard-educated researcher in neuropsychiatry and worked in John Hopkins' study of mathematically precocious youth and designed aptitude tests for adults with a 200 plus IQ. This guy is thought to have been just a brilliant guy. Madsen, uh, with his doctorate in social marketing and politics from Harvard, uh, was an expert on public persuasion tactics. Together, they wrote a book in 1988 uh, called After the Ball, How America Will Conquer Its Fear and Hatred of Gays in the 90s. Now, um, one of their, their beginning chapters, it says this in the, in the book, After the Ball, How America Will Conquer Its Fear of Hatred and gaze, of Gays in the 90s. Um, quote, as cynical as it may seem, they explained on the beginning, AIDS gives us a chance, however brief, to establish ourselves as a victimized minority legitimately deserving of America's special protection and care. At the same time, they warned, it generates mass hysteria of precisely the sort that has brought about public stonings, leper colonies since the Dark Ages and before. How can we maximize the sympathy and minimize the fear? How, given the horrid hand that AIDS has dealt us, can we best play it? The bottom line, Kirk and Madsen's master plan, what was it? Um, the campaign, they said, a quote, uh, that we outline in this book, though complex, depends centrally upon a program of unabashed propaganda, firmly grounded in long-established principles of psychology and advertising. You know, they argued that, you know, uh, skillfully handled the AIDS epidemic could conquer American resistance to homosexuality using the crisis for their benefit. Um, one of the things that you should note is crisis for the benefit of propaganda and for changing people's um, you know, mental uh, morality. So, you know, they, they went, you know, and, and decided to, uh, instead of calling it the homosexual agenda, which it was called that before this book, they said, we need to turn the name of it to gay rights. Um, their argument for the word homosexual, it implies a sexual act because of the word sexual. And it made people think of the sexual act that for most Americans was kind of appalling. And by the way, at that time, they were talking about the average sexual partners that a gay person had uh, in their lifetime was around 500 people. And I thought, wow, that, that's crazy. But, but also that sexual act, homosexual agenda, they said, that's not gonna fly. So they said, let's turn it to gay rights. Um, and you know, some of you like me are old enough to remember when gay actually meant happy. Uh, that was the primary definition. Gay, you know, Fred Flintstone was going to have a gay old time. What's going on, Fred? Uh, well, well, when I was a kid watching the Flintstones, that meant he was going to have a happy old time with his buddies. 
But today, the word gay has been thoroughly, uh, you know, changed. Nobody even uses that. Oh, I just feel so gay. Nobody says that anymore, unless they're really gay. So it's, it's interesting how they started with this marketing plan of what they even called it. In fact, did you know that AIDS wasn't even called um, AIDS? You can look this up, it's in Wikipedia, it's in all the, you know, it's not hard to find. But those of you that are old enough in the 80s, you remember when it was called GRID, Gay-Related Immune Deficiency. Uh, Sometimes it was G-R-I-D-D, Deficiency Disorder. And the reason they called it that at the beginning, they said it's gay-related immune deficiency. That's what they called it. Is because it was really largely only being spread among the homosexual communities because of the kind of sex that was required to pass that uh, disease on. Now, some of you are mad right now. No, Brett, there were also drugs and stuff. Well, that came later. The you know, uh, needles that were... Uh, you know, being used, reused, started to spread, spread the AIDS epidemic uh, to the drug users that were uh, reusing needles. And, and then, you know, it started becoming more mainstream as there was bisexuality and uh, people infected. And it got really bad. It really was kind of a pandemic in the, in the sense of the word that we wonder about now. But they quickly said, man, we gotta change that name. We can't make this disease be associated with homosexuality. And so they very, very vehemently changed it from you know, GRID, uh, gay-related immune deficiency, to AIDS, um, autoimmune uh, deficiency syndrome, I think is what it was. But all that to say, HIV, AIDS, they cleaned up the, the, the language to try to make the narrative not so ugly. Kirk and Madsen's war goal, explains um, marketing expert Paul E. Rondeau, uh, Regent University, was a force of force acceptance of homosexual culture into the mainstream to silence opposition and ultimately convert American society. Now, I want you, as I tell you about this, I want you to kind of think about some of the other things that we, after homosexuality, we've accepted and we're embracing more and more today. Because it's not just this. This is just kind of the, the beginning of this all. Uh, Rondeau writes that, um, you know, selling homosexuality to America is what it was all about. The extensive three-stage strategy was to desensitize, jam, and convert the American public. Um, Desensitization is kind of the big one. Uh, to, to, to make us so we don't even think of it as anything anymore, uh, not to even register on our, on our um, you know, it kind of rem- reminiscent if you read George Orwell's 1984, the premise of good think and bad think in 1984. As Kirk and Madsen put it, they said this, to one extent or another, the s- uh, separability and manipulability of the verbal label is the basis for all abstract principles underlying our proposed ca- uh, campaign. Um, so, you know, use of the word gay rights instead of the homosexual agenda is kind of the idea. So merely using the term gay rights, persuading politicians, the media to adopt this terminology, activists seeking to transform America framed the debate uh, and, and in their favor, favor before the contest even begins, gay rights. Um, and in public relations war- warfare, he who frames the terms of the debate almost always wins. That's just the way it is. He who frames the terms of the debate almost always wins. Uh, it's the same thing with abortion rights uh, movement. You know, they prevailed in that war 
for a long time since Roe versus Wade by not calling it the murdering of children uh, or abortion rights even. Um, what they did is framed it on pro-choice. Oh, see how positive that sounds? Of course people should have a choice. And then they narrate as the woman has a choice about her own body, even though we're talking about another body, another life inside her body. Nobody wants to talk about that, but it's, it's the truth. And so they, they frame the debate, um, you know, not of abortion, but they frame the debate with choice. Um, so you might be wondering, even granting the movement's cutting edge marketing savvy, savvy how do you sell middle America? You know, this is what they wrote about in their book on 500 sex partners and weird sex practices. The answer, according to Kirk and Madsen, you don't just talk about it, rather you look and act as normal as possible for the camera. When you're a very different people and people hate you for it, they explain, this is what you do. First, you get your foot in the door by being as similar as possible. And then only then, once, once your little difference is finally accepted, you can start dragging in other peculiarities one by one. You hammer the, in the wedge, narrow in first, they said in their book. As the saying goes, allow the camel's nose beneath your tent and eventually his whole body will follow soon. That's what they said. So in other words, you know, say Damascus, leather uh, fetishists, cross-dressers, transgender, and other, you know, peculiar members of their community they wrote about, they said they need to keep away from the tent, out of sight until the sales job is over. That, that's what the 80s and the 90s were all about, to sort of sell it as normal and normalized. Rondeau explains about Kirk and Madsen's technique of desensitization, jamming, and conversion in this way, and I quote, desensitization is described as inundating the public with continuous flood of gay-related advertising presented in the least offensive fashion possible. If straights can be shut off, can, can't shut off the shower, they may at least eventually get used to being wet. That's what they said. But the activists did not mean advertising in the usual marketing context, but rather quite different approach. The main thing is to talk about gayness until the issue becomes so thoroughly tiresome, they add, um, seek desensitization and nothing more. If you can get straights to think homosexuality is just another thing, meriting no more than a shrug of the shoulders, then your battle for legal and social rights is virtually won. So they talk about structuring the consciousness of others. This is what they're doing. Now, now some would call that brainwashing, but I hope you moms and dads know from the you know, 80s to the present day, there's, there's a massive structuring of the conscience, consciousness of our children in the schools. Um, even today, um, some of this um, amazing, horrible, wicked curriculum is being accepted uh, into our schools and being taught to our children. And we can talk about sex ed, we can talk about you know, the whole race controversy and what people are teaching, white privilege, white uh, fragility, all these different things. I'm telling you, uh, moms and dads, if your kids are involved with public school, you better know what the curriculum's saying because they're restructuring your child's consciousness. That's, they don't even try to hide it. It's part of their war plan. It's been going on since the 80s. Um, manipulating emotions, restructuring thoughts, um, that's what they do. And, and so that's the desensitization part. Then the jamming. What's the jamming? Well, you've seen it. Um, you know, let me read to you what the book explains. It's a psychological terrorism meant to silence expression or even support, um, silence support for dissenting opinion, 
Boy, we see that today. If you have an opinion against one of these hot buttons of politics or social justice or whatever, and you have a, a biblical worldview, what do they do? Well, they'll, they'll try to jam you up. That's the word, jamming. Um, maybe you guys remember one of the early ones of this was Dr. Laura Schlesinger started a TV show and she said something negative about homosexuality and they jammed up all the advertising. They, they, the gay and lesbian groups uh, gave such a, a outcry of hatred toward Laura Schlesinger that, that her, her TV program failed before it even got off the ground. Um, that, that happened. There was another, by the way, uh, this, this uh, outrage um, of jamming that you see. Um, do you remember, some of you that remember back in the 90s, um, what happened to, a, this was a big moment in the gay and lesbian movement, was Matthew Shepard. 1998, remember you, you recall, there was a gay guy that was taken out by these two guys and tied up and bound up against a fence or gate, I think, and, and was brutally beaten and died a few, few days later. later. And Shepard died uh, because of these injuries. In a frenzied, saturated media coverage that followed, the press and a homosexual activist singled out conservative Christians as having created the climate of anti-gay hate, which was a brutal act uh, uh, against Shepard. NBC's uh, Today Show took the lead, focusing on a Christian ad campaign running that, at that time that offered help to homosexuals to change their orientation. Reporter David Gregory narrated, the ads were controversial for portraying gays and lesbians as sinners who had made poor choices, despite the growing belief that homosexuality may be genetic. Have the ads fostered a climate of anti-gay hate that leads to incidents like the killing of Matthew Shepard? Gay rights activists say the ads convey a message that gay people are defective. And now in a now very infamous uh, interview, uh, today's Katie Couric, if you remember, uh, asked Wyoming Governor Jim Geringer, she, she said, and I quote, some gay rights activists have said that some conservative political organizations like Christian Coalition, the Family Research Council, and Focus on the Family are contributing to this anti-homosexual atmosphere by having an ad campaign saying if you're homosexual, you can change your orientation. That promotes people to say, if I meet someone who's homosexual, I'm going to take action to try to convince them or try to harm them. Do you believe that such groups are contributing to this climate? <laughs> Talk about a loaded question from Katie Couric. Do you think this, she, she you know, basically makes her argument, says, do you think this is what's happening? Consciously or not, the media were following Kirk and Madsen's playbook to the letter, discrediting anyone who disagreed with the homosexual agenda um, and associating them with low-life murderers uh, in reality, by the way, none of those Christian groups that were named by, you know, uh, uh, NBC at that time, back in 1998, um, none of them, uh, um, in fact, condoned the harming of any homosexuals. In fact, they condemned, every single one of those groups contend, uh, condemned mistreatment of any kind to homosexuals. In fact, they um, even wrote um, works on loving the homosexual. Um, but this was the narrative that the NBC people chose. Now, in a very strangely honest um, uh, news article that came out several years later in, I remember the show, the show 2020. Is that still around? I don't even know if 2020 is still going, but um, to add even more shame to the whole, you know, 
jamming of, of Christians um, as, as far as homosexuality. After the Shepherd murder in 2004, a comprehensive new investigation by ABC News 2020 concluded that homosexuality very likely wasn't even a factor in Shepherd's murder, but rather Shepherd had been targeted because of his money. He was a wealthy guy. And, and you, can, you can look that up, 2020, uh, you know, uh, Matthew Shepherd, and uh, right around 2004, I think, is when that came out. But it, it basically, here's the secular thing saying, yeah, this, this, these guys had nothing to do with that he was gay. It had to do that he had lots of money and they were trying to get more from him. The point that I'm making is there's been a very con, uh, concerted effort in taking the agenda of the homosexual movement. And to today, so I'm going back to all the way to 1988, 1998, 2004, today, it's not an issue. Everything they wanted as far as the homosexual agenda has become embraced. Now pastors and churches are wrongly embracing homosexuality, even though the Bible says no. Uh, I remember when the first bishop, uh, what was his name? Gene Robinson, who um, uh, was a perverted guy. He becomes the first gay bishop in the Episcopal church. And he even said Jesus was likely gay. And that actually got him into trouble with the church. But. It's gotten crazy on that. And now, you know, homosexuality is so mainstream. It's in every TV show, every reality show. It's just accepted, loved. Everybody thinks gay people are better than straight people. And man, they've, they've sold that bill of goods. Even though the Bible says, nope, it's sinful. The reason I go through all that history and the agenda there is that agenda is still alive and well. It's just no longer, they, they've won the gay issue. But now, you know, we're seeing the transgender issue being one again. We see also the issues of pedophilia. If you don't believe me, that means you probably don't know what's going on in the news today. There's all kinds of wicked things as it relates to laws being passed in California, where judges have kind of a right to not really determine that a person who's a pedophile be deemed a sex offender. Um, there's laws being passed about this where, where it's gonna protect the pedophile. Um, you know, uh, there's a worldview that's being fostered and that is we should be able to love. It's all about love. Are you one of the people that think, hey man, people should be able to love whoever they want. See, doesn't that sound so nice? Just love whoever you want. That's, that's, that's so good. But there's gotta be a line somewhere, shouldn't there be? Um, I'm not gonna try to be too creepy on this one, but should a 55-year-old man be able to love a 12-year-old boy. There are groups out there that are arguing for that. Hey, it's just love. And if it's consensual, then it's loving and beautiful. That's what they're saying. That's one of the next frontiers of this agenda to change your mind and to slowly let your uh, you know, morality accept that which the Bible deems as an abomination and sinful. And it's gonna go from you know, pedophilia to even other things. You know, um, you know, polygamy is gonna start, or even you know, uh, just the idea of getting rid of marriage altogether uh, because marriage is more of a biblical institution. And I think that as we get closer to the end times, the Bible says they're gonna forbid people to marry in the last days. So uh, we can kind of see how that would shake out. The reason I go through all this is because it's not just the gay and lesbian agenda, but it's also other agendas that are being forced down your throat right now. And they've done it in a way that feels so right and good about you know, white privilege and all kinds of other issues. I, 
am not denying that racism is, is not a problem. I think in certain parts of our country, it's particularly bad. And, um, but one of these things that has nothing to do with our sexuality, but for example, the police, defund the police. Who in their right mind, did you see in Minnesota when they, they you know, decided to defund the police there, now they're saying, where are the police? You know, murder, homicide, everything's up. And, and it's like, uh, if it wasn't so sad and serious, it's, it's actually laughable that they defund their police and then wonder why there's crime on the rise by exponential amounts. And it's happening in all of these big cities that have kind of that agenda to defund the police. The police actually, believe it or not, biblical. Romans 13 calls the police officer a minister of God. Yeah, but Brett, there's, they're all, they all hate people and they're hunting down um, you know, black guys and killing them. That's the narrative. That's the, the, you know, the force feeding to America. But if you actually look up the numbers, it's all propaganda. And there are some, of course, of course there's evil cops, but they're very far and few between. And there's a lot, a, a giant majority of really good cops that you're gonna be real glad when they show up to your house when you're being looted or robbed or raped or murdered. You're gonna be real glad for those police officers. But there's this agenda that's very much like the homosexual agenda of the 80s and 90s that now is moving into all of these social issues of our culture today. And it's very much opposite of what the Bible teaches. If you let the Bible be your morality, you will be on the right side of this argument. If you let this propaganda and this drive of the world to try to convince you and brainwash you into believing like the rest of the world, you're gonna be on what the Bible calls the side of the wicked. And it's no wonder that the wicked are frustrated and angry. I see wickedness when I see an American guy who is here protesting or, or you know, promoting uh, you know, here in Portland, and the video doesn't lie. He was walking down the street and a guy said, here's one of them, one of these being like a Trump supporter, here's one of them, boom, shoots him in the chest, kills him dead. The same night, a bunch of Black Lives Matter protesters saying, we're glad he's killed, we're glad he's dead. That is, what the Bible would call wickedness. We, we um, somewhere along the way, there's a lot of people in our country, their worldview is it's okay to kill those people. There's a professor uh, of one of these extremely, uh, you know, godless colleges and universities that said um, it was right to kill that man, th that he deserved to die for his worldview. And, and as we get closer to the end of days, I think this kind of mentality is what's gonna happen. You know, the idea of Christian persecution, it does seem like it could come uh, along the way. And here's the problem, is if you're uh, one of these Christians, and I, I might even add so-called, if you really believe the Bible, and if you're following God's word, you're gonna be hated. Jesus told us this, that if you follow Jesus, then people are gonna hate you and persecute you. And that's part of the deal. If you're fitting in with the world and you're you know, good to go, man, because you're embracing homosexuality and yeah, you're all into social justice and all this stuff and you're trying to look like the world as much as you possibly can, you're the ones who are perhaps being led astray so badly that you might not even recognize your Christianity or your version of it eventually. And, and it does make me wonder when the Lord says, depart from me, I never knew you. Are there, are there people who are embracing a worldview that's so godless 
but they think because they're checking the church box or because they read their Bibles and sort of pick and choose what they wanna believe that somehow that's gonna make God you know, happy and they're gonna to go to heaven. That's not how a person gets to heaven. I'll tell you what that is here in a minute. But when it comes to wicked, man, I start today off with the pretense of the wicked. It's all a lie. Satan is a deceiver. Isaiah 50, verse, uh, pardon me, Isaiah chapter five, verse 20. We went over this a few months ago. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. That put darkness for light and light for darkness. That put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them. If you're one who's saying, I think homosexuality is beautiful and good, woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. You say, Brett, this is heavy. This is brutal. Yeah, the reason it sounds brutal is because of decades now of a reprogramming and what I would call brainwashing. And we've just accepted it largely as a culture and as a people. And I'm the one who's probably the minority and, and people, but don't get mad at me. It's what the Bible teaches. I'm telling you what the Bible teaches. So you have the pretense of the wicked. Number two, you have the problems of the wicked. Um, and that's where we go back to our text. But the wicked are like the troubled sea. The idea of a troubled sea is out of control. Have you ever been in a troubled sea in a boat? Good luck. It's hard. I remember Joey and I were going scuba diving in Hawaii, and it happened to be a really big storm that day. Uh, one of the biggest they'd had in decades. Um, boats were being washed up on the uh, sand in Hawaii that day. But the dive people said, well, let's go out there and we'll see what we can find. And we went on this boat, but uh, we were mostly underwater. It was like a submarine almost as we were trying to get out to the dive place. Finally, we found a little reef that was sort of protected, but uh, everybody was green. Everybody was throwing up in the, on the boat, except for me and Joey and the captain. <laughs> we were having a great time. Um, but what was funny is we, um, once we got our scuba gear on and jumped in the water, um, it was calm and cool underneath there. And I, I kind of think of that a lot. Uh, the hard part was getting back on the boat because there was a steel ladder that was stuck in the water, but the water was so tossed, the ladder would move, you know, eight to 10 feet, just like this, because it was so rough. But man, once you'd grab onto that, you'd hang onto that and the, the ladder would throw you around like a bucking bronco. And then you would climb up the ladder if you could. But one of the best days diving, Joey and I had, we saw some sharks, it was awesome. But. That's what I think of. You can either be the Christian who's perfectly at home under the water following God's word and just feel calm, cool, and collected, or you can join with the wicked and wonder why you have consternation and trouble and, and, and murky waters. That's what it says. Did you see what it said there? The wicked people, their lives are gonna be characterized, it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. Speaking of scuba diving, um, I also got to dive with my buddy Tad over in Vanuatu. One of the best shipwrecks you can dive in the world, if, if you ask me. And I've done several shipwreck dives, but this one's pretty deep, so it makes it a little hard. I think the, the deepest is 160 feet uh, part where you dive. So you, you only get a few minutes of, a couple minutes of bottom time, and then you have to slowly come up the ship. But it's a great, it was a, um, a troop transport ship in World War II that was sunk by two mines that uh, hit the ship and the captain rammed this huge ship up to the shore and it kind of tipped over and all the guys, only a few people died from the actual mines that exploded. 
But all the rest of the soldiers got off that ship at climbing down ropes and getting onto the shore. And then the ship just kind of sunk down into the bottom of that ravine, that channel there in the Vanuatu, uh, the island of uh, Santo, Vanuatu. So we got to dive down in there and see it. Now, one of the things they told us though, they said, do not go off the beaten path. Stay with us. And we had this great uh, Mayumi. She was our dive, a little Japanese gal about this tall. And she was our dive guide, you know. So we're just following Mayumi. But I stayed right with her. And I'll tell you why. They told us a story uh, that happened a few years earlier. There was a honeymooning couple from Australia that wanted to dive the USS Coolidge. Bigger than the Titanic, by the way. Big ship. And, um, and this honeymooning couple was with their dive group but they thought it'd be fun to go into a side room of the ship. And this was, this was a huge ship. Before it was a troop transport, it was a, it was a cruise liner. So there was this big, beautiful room and there was all these state rooms and stuff. Well, this couple went into one of those rooms. And the problem is because it was off the beaten path, there was silt uh, piled up, settled on the ocean floor of the shipwreck there. And when they went into those rooms, the silt was kicked up so bad that the couple couldn't see anything. They couldn't even see their hands in front of their mask. And it was just impossible. They had their flashlights, but they couldn't see even their hand with their flashlight. That's how silty it became. And the couple didn't know up from down. When you're floating in water in scuba gear, you can't tell uh, which direction you are when it's totally silty like that. And they fought and tried to find the door, but they couldn't. And they ran out of air and drowned in that room. Kind of a creepy story, but it's a true story. And it made me stay on the, on the straight and narrow path with my little Japanese guide, Mayumi. She was great. Uh, and I stayed right with her because she knew where to go. Um, in the same way, the wicked, when they veer off from what the word of God says and do their own thing, the Bible says that's what happens. It says they're gonna be tossed like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. You end up totally blind not seeing the way out, not knowing what's clear and what's right. And so our culture by and large here in America, we wonder how can people think this way? How can people be so far from just truth? Why is it that our news and, and our, our media lies to us so much every day? How is it that they can have an agenda that seems so evil and sinister? The answer? Wickedness begets wickedness. And the more the wicked drive for their thing, the more silty and miry and tossed this culture, this world will be. That's the problem with wickedness. That's what it says here in our text. The wicked find themselves restless. Um, they find no satisfaction. You know, lust, if you feed lust, it, it gets hungrier and hungrier. Materialism, you'll never be satisfied. Pleasure. The Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season. And this is what our world has been eating it up. You just end up with silty, muddy water and you end up totally disoriented. Uh, so the wicked find themselves really peaceless. They're looking for peace. They're crying out for peace, for their movement, for their group, for their people, but they find no peace. So you see, number one, the pretense of the wicked. Number two, the problems of the wicked. Number three, the perils of the wicked. What's the future for the wicked? Well, let me go to quickly, and I'm running out of time, so I better hurry up here. But Proverbs chapter five, verse 22 says this. His own iniquities or sins shall take the wicked himself. 
He shall be holden with the cords of his sins. He shall die without instruction. And in the greatness of his folly shall he go astray. The wisest man that ever walked the earth, Solomon, other than Jesus, of course. But Solomon said, and he knew about wickedness. He practiced wickedness. His own iniquity shall take the wicked himself and shall hold him up with the cords of his sin, bondage, bound up. He shall die without instruction and in the greatness of his folly, he shall go astray. That's a promise of God's word. That's where the wicked is going. Um, Jesus talked about the wicked in Matthew chapter 15. Let me read to you what Jesus said in Matthew 15, 47 through 50. Matthew 15, 47 through 50, it says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea. And there they gathered every kind, that is every kind of fish, good fish, bad fish, intermediate fish, whatever. Um, verse 48, which when it was full, they drew to the shore and sat down and gathered the good fish into vessels, but cast the bad fish away. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire where there will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. This is what Jesus said. Um, I always marvel that people say, oh, Jesus, I just like to go with Jesus. I don't like the Old Testament because it's got too much judgment and wrath. Did you hear what Jesus said? It's like these fishermen pulling in a big thing, a net of fish, and then they go, okay, bad fish, throw it in the fire. Good fish, put it in the vessel, and we're gonna save it. And, you know, and they just sorted it out. And then Jesus said, that's what's gonna happen. There's gonna be angels that are gonna sort it out. And if you're one that's been wicked and you're in your wickedness, then you're gonna be pulled out and thrown into, well, this is a description of hell, a place where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Brett, are you saying that if I'm a sinner and I'm wicked and, and evil and all this stuff, that, that God's gonna send me to hell? Well, let's put it this way. Are you saying because I'm wicked and evil that I deserve to go to hell? That's pretty much what I'm saying. Now, God doesn't send us there. Remember what I just read in Proverbs? It's your own sin that sends you to hell. That's what it said in Proverbs 5. Your sins are the ones that bind you up. It's your own doing. You send yourself to hell by being wicked. God is gonna reach out to you to save you. I'll tell you about that in a minute. But left alone in your wickedness to your own devices to try to save you, this is the doom of the wicked. Weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth hell and destruction. Brett, this is a fire and brimstone service. You sound like one of those old preachers. Well, that's what I am, I'm an old preacher. But be that as it may, I, I need to tell you this, that the peril of the wicked is doom, total doom and destruction and hell. So you got the pretense of the wicked, they're pretending, lying, but they're also, the problem of the wicked, they're, they're peaceless, they're without clarity. And then the peril of the wicked is death and hell. But then I give you the good news, the very last one, jot it down, number four, the promise for the wicked. See, some of you might be thinking, well, Pastor Brett thinks he's pretty good and he's talking about the wicked. See, a lot of people have a problem. You, you listen to sermons by pastors saying, well, who do you think you are? Well, see, that's just the thing. I, I want you to really listen to what I'm about to say. I'm a wicked person. I fall in the wicked category just like you. There's no one righteous, not even one. Well, Brett, then you're gonna go to hell. I sure would, and so would you, except for one thing. 
There's a promise that God gives even to us wicked people. And the question is whether you accept the promise, receive the promise, look to Jesus who's the answer to the wicked. You see, that's the most important thing. I don't care if you're a gay person or a glutton. I don't care if you're a murderer or, you know, a murmurer. I don't care if you're a greedy person or a grouchy person. It doesn't matter. You're, you're a sinner and you deserve death and hell, all of us. And I, I, I'm not going to say that homosexuality or, or um, you know, some of these other sins that are being promoted today. I'm not saying any ones are any better or worse than the other sins. They're just all sin. The problem with some of these is that we're trying to embrace and celebrate sins. That's a problem. See, the difference is, is when a person says, Lord, I acknowledge my sin before you. If you're a gay person and you're saying, man, I, I, I fall into the wicked category according to your sermon, Brett. Yeah, but join the crowd. We're all sinners and we're all wicked people. And this is where I love, love, love the grace of God. He's so kind and he's so merciful. The, the, this is why the agenda of the gay community was so dangerous back in the 80s because not only did they normalize it, but they celebrated something that God called sin. We've got to get you back to a place where we say, no, we agree with God. When God calls something sinful, it's, it's, it's going to be wrong. Now, the word sin means off target. God has a bullseye for humanity that he wants for their blessing and for their, for their health and goodness. But then, but then whether you hit that target or not, if you miss the target, you're a sinner. So we've all done that. We all fall short. But let me, let me have you look at a couple scriptures here of God, of what he does. Check it out. Romans chapter five. Would you turn there real quick? It's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then Romans. Um, I call Romans sort of the handbook of Christianity. It tells us all the, you know, the nuts and bolts. Romans chapter five. Check out what it says in verse six, Romans five, six. It says, for when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Who are the ungodly? Wicked people. What did Jesus die for? Ungodly people, wicked people. Um, by the way, you know, Satan's called the accuser and um, I've been accused of a lot of things by Satan. Um, and being ungodly is one of them. Uh, I've never really been accused of being godly by Satan. No, Brett, you're such a godly person. Nope, he reminds us that we're ungodly. But I love this scripture because you can agree with Satan. Yep, I am ungodly. But in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse seven, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The idea is while we were in our dirtiest, yuckiest, sinful condition, the Lord loved us so much, he proved his love for us that in while we were yet sinners, in the midst of our sin, Christ died for our sins. See, the wages of sin is death. Christ paid your price. And he goes on much more, verse nine, um, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. 
You see, Romans is this beautiful book that tells us how we wicked sinners are saved by the grace of God. God sending his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. Now don't be deceived. You can't just say, well, I, I hope that applies to me then. I'm gonna say Jesus died for my sins. But do you understand there's a, there's a repentance that's required. The Bible says, Jesus even said, repent and sin no more. Um, and that means to just change your mind and say, I'm a sinner. This is where it's important that some of these sins that the world doesn't call sins, some of these things that the world celebrates, one of the hardest things for some of you is gonna be able to say, I recognize that even though the world celebrates my homosexuality, you have to say and acknowledge that the word condemns my homosexuality as sin. And that's where repentance comes in. You have to say, Lord, you're right and I'm wrong. Well, Brett, what if I was born that way? I've heard the arguments, I've read scientific research on that. I still think that's inconclusive, but I'll even give people that argument. We were all born in sin. We were all born sinners. It's funny how there's, there's you know, you could say that some people were born with the genetic makeup to be angry. The angry wife beater as he drinks his bourbon and is an alcoholic and he beats his wife. None of us are celebrating that because he was genetically made up to be that kind of a person. Um, we, we don't celebrate that. But when we celebrate things that the Bible calls sin, it becomes really hard for people to say, I need to repent, but that's required of you. To say, I choose to recognize that thing, whether it's genetic or I was born that way or whatever, I'm gonna choose to go with Christ. I'm gonna go with God's plan and God's word. Read Romans chapter one. It's clear when it comes to the idea of the, the homosexual lifestyle that a person has to either repent and say, I disagree with it and I have to change my behavior, or the Lord says, I'm gonna give you over to your own corruption. If you wanna be saved, you gotta repent of your sins, accept the work of Jesus Christ. You see, that's what the beauty of Romans is telling us is that Christ died for us, me and you, ungodly people who've done sinful things. Um, Psalm 119 verse 165 says, great peace have they who love your law and nothing can make them stumble. If you wanna be a person who's on the right track and not tossed in the waves of the sea with world opinion and social justice and all this stuff that can go against God's word, man, if you wanna have true peace, great peace have they who love your word and nothing can make them stumble. I would recommend all of you to take a hard look at the Bible and say, am I willing to go with the world and these people who have marketed and brainwashed so many over the decades? Or am I gonna go with what the word of God actually says and call what Bible says is wicked? I'm gonna call it wicked. It's a choice you have to make. Now, let me just make something clear. One of the brainwashing narratives is that Christians hate gay people. Totally false. I'm sure there's some people out there like those people in Kansas or wherever who uh, have that church that hate gay people and there's like 50 people in that church. But all of us Christians know them to be wacko and they're not even really Christians. It's funny how the news for so many years would make them the centerpiece of what Christianity believed. It, only 50 stupid people that weren't even close to Christianity uh, were sort of the model they used. The Christians I know, the people I know uh, my whole life are people who have real compassion for sinners of all types. And we love people. 
Our goal is to be the most loving people, whether you're a gay person or a glutton, a grouch or a greedy person, we wanna love you and show you Christ. We wanna show you the way, the truth and the life, the way to get to heaven. We want you to be saved and we, we care about you that much that we'll be honest with you. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And if you feel wounded by what I've said today, try to open your mind and understand this is coming from a person who has a heart to love people and to see them do well and to see their lives blessed and flourish. If you go with the way of the world, you're gonna be like the murky sea tossed to and fro and you will not find peace. If you go with the way of the word of God, that's where you're gonna find salvation, heaven, and even peace and calm in the midst of the storm. It's all through Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads please as we close this service? And I wonder if there might be some of you out there with just kind of, if you're a Christian, by the way, would you be praying right now? Because I wonder if there's some of you out there that are hearing this message and if you can step away from the noise of what everybody's screaming on the streets today, of what the college professors are trying to promote and the agenda that's being promoted. If you could just step away and, and, and sense the truth of what I'm saying. See, I believe if you're listening to this teaching and you're still not a Christian, the Lord's, he's, he's lovingly tapping you on the shoulder right now, trying to show you your need for salvation. I know that sounds kind of spiritual and sort of weird, but the Bible says that the Spirit of God will strive with you for a while to, to convince you your need for salvation. Some of you, your hearts are stirred right now and you know that if you become a Christian, it's gonna cost you. It might cost you friends, it might cost you family members, it might cost you a job or whatever. But Jesus did say, that's the sacrifice part. If you follow Jesus, there's gonna be people that hate you. But if you follow Jesus, you're following the right path. The one who loved the world so much that he went and died on the cross for the sins of the world. You becoming a Christian means to repent of your sin. Call sin what it is, Lord, I have sinned against you and I've acted out in sinful ways. Just acknowledge that and repent. That's what repentance means. And then confess with your mouth, Romans 10, verse nine and 10 says, confess with your mouth, say, Lord, I believe in you. You just say this right now. I believe in you that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and that he rose from the grave and that I'm saved and that I'm forgiven. If you pray that prayer and if you confess your faith in Christ and the work of the cross that he died and rose from the grave like he said he would, then the Bible says you're forgiven. Brett, how could it be that easy? I've sinned all these years and all of a sudden you're saying I'm clean and forgiven? Yes, that's the work of God. When Jesus died on the cross, that's why he said it is finished. It's a finished work, salvation for anyone who will take it, a free gift of God. And so if you accept that, believe that, and confess with your mouth, believe in your heart what I just shared with you, you're a part of the, the saved group. When the angels come and sort the wicked from the righteous, you'll be declared righteous, not because you deserved it, not because you've earned it, <clears throat> but because Jesus paid your price. <clears throat> he was your free ticket to be saved and to be forgiven. And if you're one who did that, would you just uh, do us a favor? Let us know. It's nice to know if people have heard this message 
and if people have accepted Christ. If you're one who accepted Jesus right now, would you, there's a text number, just a simple number at the bottom of your screen. If you could just text new believer, we won't send a ton of stuff to you or any stuff to you unless you want us to. But um, we like to know it. Just say new believer on there and, um, and let us know if you accepted Christ and we will pray for you. The Lord knows who you are. Um, if you need help or if you need counsel or encouragement in any way, shape or form, we've, we've got people that would love to talk with you and uh, stand with you and support you, give you whatever help you might need in learning more of Jesus Christ. So make sure and take advantage of that. Well, Lord, I thank you for these people who've just confessed you. I pray, Lord, today that they would just know you deeper. Lord, would you reveal your kindness and your love to them? Lord, we do lift up all the people of our culture and our society that have been so deceived by the deceiver, the one that is called Satan in the Bible, who's all about deception and the brainwashing that we see going on in this world. I pray that you'd open up eyes of more and more people, that they'd see the truth of scripture, that they'd see the error of our ways. And as our culture embraces more and more immorality and evil and wickedness, Lord, may your church be sanctified and set apart. May we be different, even if it costs us. Give us a boldness in our faith, but also a love as we share it, Lord. So we pray these things knowing you've heard our prayer and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.